This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday the 1st of December and this time a year ago there was a virus circulating in Hubei province just starting to get reported probably spread from mid-November and things are just gathering pace under the radar. One year ago. We'll have to do a deep dive into the early days of the virus, but not today, Norman. Okay. <laughs> I'll hold myself back. Well, the last couple of days have been a real roller coaster ride again in Adelaide, Norman. We've heard about a, a man who was out and about with COVID and there were question marks about whether he should have been in isolation or not. And the communication seems a bit messy and it's been a bit hard to know what he was expected to do or whether he understood what he was expected to do. And even now, I can't really make sense of what he was expected to do, whether he knew it or not. How do we make sense of these sorts of things? And if we can't communicate it well, then how do we know that people actually know what to do? Yeah, I think that what you're seeing here is an early forgetfulness, if you like, of the key message from this pandemic throughout, whether it doesn't matter really what country you're in, is that if you've got consistent messaging from the leadership, in other words, political leadership and your public health leadership, then people trust that and they follow it. And uh, hopefully that advice is solid. And in Australia, by and large, it has been solid. So that um, from Prime Minister to Brendan Murphy and from Dan Andrews and Brett Sutton and Alan Cheng and so on. So in other words, you've, ha- you've had you know, good synchrony and we've had very good policies in Australia in terms of lockdown. OK, they've been controversial, but communication has been fairly consistent. Now, in Victoria... The data looked as if they were transparent, but they actually weren't that transparent. It was sometimes very hard for us to make sense of what they were actually saying. And I think that reflected, rather than them being deliberately obscure, it just reflected the fact that their contact tracing was in a bit of a mess and therefore they didn't really have good data to pass on. So now you've got this situation, and it's very important to remember this because it's important for the next pandemic, it's important if uh, the coronavirus comes back in Australia, such as you've had in South Australia is that South Australians have behaved really well, magnificently. They've come forward to be tested. However, a wobble like this does create a problem for community understanding because the temptation here, of course, is to victim blame. Oh, there's this guy and he's been out and about. And, and we probably even implied that yesterday on Coronacast. He's been out and about, you know, what a dickhead <laughs> for doing this and so on and so forth. It turns out he's actually behaved quite well. And if there was... Confusion over communication, the confusion has been at all levels. The understanding we seem to have got yesterday was that he, in fact, was a casual contact, was told to isolate until he was tested. He was tested and, you know, and isolated until he got the result. The result was negative. So he wasn't in quarantine. And then he was told to get another test at 11 days, which apparently was positive. And it was while he was positive that he was out and about. I'm not sure that he knew that he was positive, but he was out and about round about that period of time. So it's just another example where you're creating danger when you're not sure of your facts and um, and you jump in and then people like us, we jump in too. And um, But we're assuming that the information is accurate. Not making any excuses about this. It's just another lesson that how the authorities communicate is essential to the control of a pandemic and to this one because it's not over yet. 
And the other thing in terms of just refining Australia's approach to coronavirus is that we've, he- we've heard that Victoria is doing an overhaul of its hotel quarantine system. Yep. What they're doing is removing private security from the hotel quarantine. They're, you're going to be decanted into, if you're positive, into a, a special many hotel for positive people. You're going to pay people well and so discourage or not allow workers in the hotels to work in other venues, so the risk of spread. There's going to be bubbles for people who work in the, in, the, in these areas, and if they, you know, if there's a question mark over their accommodation, they will be provided with accommodation. In other words, they're trying to create a security bubble around quarantine hotels, which recognise that uh, staff working there are at risk themselves, but also at risk of spreading the disease. So much more intense governance, if you like, of the worker situation to solve some of the problems of people working in more than one location and not being properly trained and being used to it. In other words, moving around and not really getting good at the job. This should solve a lot of the problems. Victoria is not the only place in Australia that's going to be accepting international arrivals. In fact, they're coming in all over the place. Do we know if other states and territories are already having these sorts of measures in place? I don't know the detail of other states and territories. However, there have been very few cases of cases slipping away from control. A key variable seems to be to have some sort of medical governance of it so that you've got oversight by by doctors and nurses of the situation. So in Victoria, when they got their act together, they put the Alfred Hospital in charge of the clinical side of things in New South Wales. I think it's Royal Prince Alfred, at least for some of it. But I'm not quite sure what happens in other states. But certainly you've got to have very, very strong clinical input to make this safe as well. Well, let's take some questions from the audience. And Andrea is asking from Regional WA. Hello, Andrea. Uh, we haven't had a case of coronavirus in town for over six months now, but when her school-age kids catch colds, as kids are known to do, she's been getting them swabbed each time. Does she need to continue having them tested each time or is the risk so low here now that it's no longer warranted? Well, new people are coming into Victoria, to Western Australia all the time with coronavirus. Ships are docking with coronavirus and the chance there is a chance that it would be happening. So I think it's fantastic that you've been getting your kids tested. And unfortunately, I think you're going to have to continue for a while yet, because even though there's none, one of the things that keeps us safe is a fairly high degree of testing, and you just never know. And Josh is asking, we've heard a lot from companies about the effectiveness of the vaccines, but can we comment on the safety component of the trials? Do we know what the screening process for participants was like? Um, Josh is asking whether they used exclusionary criteria for things like diabetes, smoking, autoimmune diseases. And then what does that mean for the population at large who want to take this vaccine? All really important questions. Well, from the press releases, they're saying that there were minimal safety problems. So people were getting... Maybe some people were feeling a little bit unwell. They had a p- painful arm as, as a result of the vaccine. A painful arm, by the way, shows that the vaccine is generating an, an immune response. So that's partly an immune response from the vaccine. In terms of the selection of participants, that's going to be a key question for the regulators as to just who they got into their trials. They were encouraged to have a lot of older people in their trials. They were encouraged to have people with multiple problems. But did that end up being the case? We'll wait and see. Very important that people with diabetes and other illnesses were immunised so that they could be checked out. 
with the, if you had an immune disease or you were on cancer chemotherapy or something like that, I suspect you were probably excluded, but we'll wait to find out. I think that where they were light on would probably be pregnant women and children. Uh, those will be the gaps in, in the immunisation database. But I, let's just see when the regulators have a look at that fine detail, because that's, Josh, you're absolutely right. That's the thing to look for. Oh, well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. If you've got a question or a comment, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast. Click on Ask Your Question and mention Coronacast on the way through. And we will see you tomorrow. See you then. 